In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Please be seated. Today is the 18th Sunday after Trinity, and we are in the 18th chapter of St. Luke's Gospel. You'll remember that last Sunday we were in chapter 17 at the beginning where we read that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And of course we know that this means he's on his way to sacrifice himself, to offer himself as a sacrifice for the whole world. And he's going through the regions of Samaria and that northern part of the ancient kingdom. And so uh, when he uh, goes through that place, we remember last week that he healed the ten lepers. And after the healing of the lepers, we hear a question from the Pharisees. And the Pharisees are seeing what Jesus is doing. They're seeing the signs of these miracles and they know from their reading of Scripture that the coming of the Messiah uh, will partially be known by the miracles that he works. And so they ask him, uh, how will we know uh, when the kingdom of God has come? Jesus' response to them is, there is no observable thing to see that the kingdom of God has come. You're not looking out to see, oh, there's the kingdom of God there, there's the kingdom of God there. He says the kingdom of God is among you. It's already here. And we know at the very beginning of St. Luke's Gospel that the Gospel begins with this message. We know that it's said about Jesus that he's going to come, that he's going to sit on the throne of his father David. And that his kingdom will have no his kingdom will have no end. Jesus establishes the kingdom of God, and that kingdom shall have no end. Now there have been teachings all the way through Christian history from the second and the third century, and especially from the last century in America and Britain that talk about millennialism and they talk about a rapture and these thousand year reigns and all that. None of that is part of traditional Christian teaching. Uh, we don't teach any of that. Uh, we teach that the kingdom of God was established by Jesus and that that kingdom will have no end. And the kingdom isn't something that we're going to look out and we're going to see here or there, but the kingdom of God is established within the hearts and among the faithful. So we live in the kingdom of God when we respond to God as our king. When we learn to live in his kingdom. And one of the hallmarks of his kingdom, one of the hallmarks of the kingdom of God is justice. And this is what sets the kingdom of God apart from any other kingdom on earth. Right? There is no kingdom on earth where you're going to find perfect justice. It's not in the courts. It's not in the law. It's not in rulers. They can't do it because it's perfectly dispensed by God. Even though it's written on our hearts and we desire it. It's something that from the various earliest days of childhood, we look in the world and we say, that's not fair. That's not fair. We're continually looking and our hearts are yearning to have justice. And what we read about this widow is that that is what she is continually asking for. She says, give me justice with my adversary. That's what she's praying for. And Jesus' promise is that God will answer that prayer. He will answer that prayer for justice. Now, this is not magical thinking. This isn't, uh, I just pray continually for whatever I want. I just think about the things that I really want. And if I think about it enough, and I use the name of Jesus, I'm going to get it. That's not what the scriptures teach. That's not what we teach. What she is asking for is justice, which is a very dangerous thing to ask for. Because justice is to get what you deserve. Right? 
Justice is to get what you deserve. So what it is that I do or what it is that's owed me is what we're asking for. That's a very dangerous thing to ask for. And so we're never praying for justice without also praying for mercy. We're saying, God, this is what I deserve. Please give me your mercy. And so in our prayers, we're asking for justice and mercy to come together, acknowledging before God what it is that we deserve and asking for mercy on behalf of ourselves or others. But it's that continual nature of her prayer that's so important, that she's always offering it. And when we see that she's always doing this, the message here for us is about the habits of our hearts, the habits of our lives. What is it that we see people doing day in and day out? Because that's who we are. It's not how we think. It's not what we do on occasion. Who we are is what people can expect to see us doing day in, day out. We can say that, I know what to expect from him. I know what to expect from her because this is what they do day in and day out in their lives it becomes a part of the character an important uh, way of talking about character is to look at people like jacob from our old testament reading jacob's character is established from his time in his mother's womb we see jacob's character all the way throughout his life his character is to wrestle to strive to fight for the blessings of god This is what he does from the beginning. You'll remember that a promise was made to his grandfather, Abraham. Abraham had a promise from God, a covenant from God. God said, if you are my people, then I will be your God. That's the promise that God made with Abraham. And he says, I'm not just going to make that promise with you. I'm going to make it with your descendants. I'm going to make it with all those after you. So you remember, he makes that promise to Abraham. He keeps it with Isaac. And then Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob. Now, because Esau is the oldest son, he has the right to this promise from God. The inheritance is his. It's his by right of birth. So we should be reading the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But we read from the very beginning that Jacob is striving to be first, to get that inheritance. We read that when he comes out of the womb, he's holding on to Esau's ankle. He was fighting and striving in the womb. He's fighting and striving when he's born to get the blessings of God. And we read that at the first opportunity, as soon as Esau says, I'm hungry, I want something to eat, give it to me right now. Because he's a child who cannot wait, he cannot give up the desires of his belly or of his his desires, his, uh, his perceived needs. He's willing to give up the blessing of God for a meal. And so Jacob takes that opportunity. We know that he was waiting. That idea didn't just come into his head. Jacob had been waiting for years to get that inheritance, to get that blessing. And as soon as he perceives Esau's weakness, he says, I'll sell you this bowl of soup, these lentils, for the inheritance. And Esau says, what good is it to me? I need something right now. And so he sells the inheritance as the firstborn. Later on, Jacob tricks his father Isaac into giving him Esau's blessing. He tricks his father to get the blessing of Esau. Again, Jacob is always looking. He's continually searching for that blessing from God. And so now he has the inheritance and he has the blessing. He has the right and he has all the benefits of God's glory and the promises made to his father Abraham. And Esau says, that's it. I've had enough. I'm going to kill him. I'm going to kill my brother. 
And so when Esau is getting ready to go and kill Jacob, Jacob runs away. And we remember the story about him running to his uncle Laban and getting his wives and his children. And he becomes a wealthy man, just like his father and his grandfather before him. These aren't just regular dudes across the street. These are rich princes, right? We know Esau is a rich prince. He comes to meet Jacob with 400 men. He comes with a substantial army to meet Jacob. And Jacob, when he goes back, is going back because, again, he wants the promises of God. He wants the the inheritance and the promise and the blessing that was made was to dwell in the promised land. So he's not going to give that up. He's biding his time and waiting just like he bided his time. And he waited for the inheritance and for the blessing. He's looking for an opportunity. And now he has it and he goes back. And Jacob is rightly afraid and he's cautious. He's got a plan. He doesn't go in naive thinking, oh, it'll be fine, my brother will forgive me, everything will be okay. He knows that Esau would be able to harm him or his family, and so he has a plan. And what does Jacob do? Very easily he's able to humble himself before Esau. He tells his servants, go and say that Esau is Lord and Jacob is his servant. So he tells Esau, I'm recognizing that you're my Lord and I'll be your servant. He's willing to submit in order to protect his family and his blessing. He sends gifts to Esau ahead of himself. He divides the family into two parts so that if one part is hurt, the other one will be saved. So he has multiple plans out of an abundance of caution to go forward and to be able to secure safety for his family and those blessings and inheritance that he had already received. And then while he is waiting for those servants to go to Esau, he again encounters the Lord. And what does he do again? He wrestles again. This is all Jacob does. All he does is wrestle and fight for the blessings of God. And he's fighting in the middle of the night with this angel of God, with God himself. And he says, I'm not going to let you go until I get a a blessing. This is like the continual prayer of the widow. Always, I am not going to let go. I'm not going to give up until I get a blessing. And so he's continually striving. And so the Lord says, I'm changing your name. You're no longer Jacob, you're Israel, which means wrestles with God. Wrestles with God. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be wrestling with God day and night, praying for His justice and His mercy for ourselves and others, and we're not supposed to let go. That's supposed to be our goal. Just like St. Paul tells Timothy, know what you're about, know what your job is. You don't have other jobs. Your job is to preach the gospel, to evangelize, right? The leader knows, I do one thing, right? This is the thing that I'm focused on. He tells Timothy, be focused upon your task as an evangelist. And what does he need to do that ministry? He needs to do what all of us need to do, right? You don't have to be called to be an evangelist or a missionary or a preacher or a teacher. Any role you have in the church is going to be fed and supported by these two acts. What does he tell him to do? He says, pray and read the scriptures. He says, you've known the scriptures since you were a little child. You've always known them. Don't give up reading them. Read them continually. And they're good for what? This is really good stuff. This is the kind of thing that everybody loves. Right? Right? Everybody says, yeah, I just like to 
spend some time with the Lord in the morning and get my Bible so that I can, what? Uh, Be reproved, rebuked, and exhorted. Isn't that great? How many people do you know say, you know, I'm just going to spend some time in the Lord hoping to get reproved and rebuked? But that's what happens when we read the Scripture. And this is why people don't read it. Because that's what happens when we read the Scripture. We realize, oh my goodness, this is who God is, this is what holiness looks like, and I haven't been doing it. And we can either ignore God and forget about that, like a child that pulls the covers up over our head, thinking that now nobody can see us, right? That's what a child does, right? You can't see me anymore, right? That's what we do with God. I won't read my Bible, I won't pray, you won't be able to see me. Baloney! We have to pull the sheet down and we have to face the Lord and we have to read His scriptures and pray every day and be willing to be reproved and rebuked. Because if we're willing to say, I was wrong, I don't know what I'm doing, I'm weak, I can't do it by myself, I need the Lord's help, then that's a message that other people want to hear. That's what we can preach and teach. I can't do it by myself. You know how I got up this morning? You know how I was able to do what I did today? By God's help. Do you know how I've gotten the blessings that I have in my life? By God's help. Do you know how I've gotten the good things that God has given me? By His love and grace. Not because I'm a good person, not because I worked hard, not for any other reason, but because God has been good to me. And this is a message that we can preach day in and day out. If we are continually reading the scriptures and praying the way that that widow prays. Jesus ends this passage in a funny way. He asks a question. Will the Son of Man find faith when He comes? He's kind of already answered it at the end of chapter 17 after He talks about the second coming and what we can expect, what the second coming will look like, how it is that we'll be, uh, be receiving God's justice. Because again, He comes quick. Our lives are short. We are going to get justice quickly. As soon as we die, the Lord meets us face to face and says, This is what I gave you. This is the money I gave you. These are the people that I gave you. This is the opportunity I gave you. This is the time I gave you. What did you do with it? Did you use it for my benefit? Did you use it for my kingdom? Did you use what I gave you for for righteousness? And so that's the, the preparation that we're making. And he says, Don't be like Lot's wife. He says, some will look behind them, like Lot's wife did, looking back on their sin and on their past. He says, one will be in bed, two will be in bed, and one will be taken and the other won't. What does that tell you? That tells you it doesn't matter who you're married to, doesn't matter who your mom is, doesn't matter who your cousins are. God is judging us each individually by our faith. He says, two will be at the grindstone. Doesn't matter where you work. Doesn't matter who you work with. Doesn't matter what kind of job you had. It's your faith. One will be taken and one won't. He says, two will be in the field. Doesn't matter what country you belong to. Doesn't matter your nationality, what language you speak, what ethnic group you belong to. It depends on your faith. What is faith? Abraham. God told him to do it, and he... straightforward sometimes we like to make faith seem really complicated God tells us to do something and we that's faith by obedience we do what God tells us to do so he says will he find faith yes he will will he find it with us 
yet to be determined. Are we being obedient? Are we praying for His help? Are we being widows? Because the truth is, brothers and sisters, in this world, we're all widows. There's nobody to look after us but God. There's no government. There's no group. There's no much money in the bank. There's nothing that we can turn to for help when we come before God. We're all widows. There's nobody to trust in but Him and His mercy. We're all widows in this world. We'll all leave with our pockets empty. And may we meet God face to face, being able to say, Lord, I used what you gave me for your righteousness and for your kingdom. And have mercy upon me and my soul and those that I love. May we continually, continually search for his justice and his mercy this day and forevermore. Amen.